Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be and to be G'day and welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby Show, where the podcast getting you over the game line with everything about Aussie rugby. I'm Matt Rowley. I'm back. I'm standing in for Rugby Reg. Um, we're not really sure what's happened to Rugby Reg. We know that he was in hospital having um, an operation around the time of the Wallaby rugby match. I'm not kidding you. This is actually true. Um, he came to after the first half. Um, saw the the uh, scoreline and actually asked to be put back under. Um, so there's a few theories going on to what this sort of procedure was that he had. Um, it ranges from obviously a sex change operation um, right through to removing a chop bone that he inhaled. Um, I'm sure he'll be back on soon though, and he can take us through all those gory details. Um, and uh, obviously, hopefully, he's managed to forget many of the uh, details about the rugby that was happening at the same time. But anyway, we're going to get into that rugby in a little bit more detail. Uh, joining me tonight, we've got the stalwarts. We've got Hugh, mate. How are you? Uh, I'm good, Matt. And unlike the Wallabies, I'm I'm ready and raring to go. <laughs> oh, that's 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 that is going to start know. strong. And- Exactly. Can we also can we also um, put out our theories on Reg too? I've 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 heard a, a um I've heard he's actually had um had surgery to uh, repair the chip on his shoulder from uh, the Reds' recent poor performances. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that, that that would be pretty serious surgery. That one. Um, uh, full reconstruction uh, would be required there. Um, Jamie, what about you, mate? It's good to have you. Jamie Miller, how are things um, on the other side of the world there? How was the eclipse today for you? Uh, the eclipse was fantastic, actually. It was it was brilliant. You know, the, the the metaphor of something blocking out all the light in my life was was really apt for what happened on uh, on Saturday <laughs> night. So it, it did indeed. It squeezed out all those golden rays. Um, but uh, look, it's 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 good to have you back on board, and it's good to be back. Thanks, guys, for the glowing welcome there, both of you. Um, anyway, yeah, look, totally. uh, yeah. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's get into. We're going to have five questions. We're back to the burning five questions this week, and these are going to be they. Number one, is this an all-time low for the Wallabies, uh, both in terms of records? Obviously, um, Hugh and Jamie have done extensive research on this. Uh, but just in terms of the general Marbo vibe as well. Number two, who takes the blame? Is it Checker? Is it Nathan Gray? Or is it everybody else? Number three, are there any positives we can take for this week from that schmozzle? Number four, was the Force Rally good or bad for Aussie rugby? Um, there's been some really interesting developments just today, actually, which we'll go through there uh, around the Force. And number five, around the grounds, what's happening in club rugby or just general other forms of rugby this week, because there there are a few other things on. Um, so they're the they're the burning five questions. So let's get right into it. Is this an all time low for the Wallabies? Hugh, I was looking forward to seeing like a huge rant uh, from you on this on Sunday, but couldn't even muster that. No, no, I couldn't. Unfortunately, I was I was um I, I did. I was looking out for you, Matt, because I actually got to watch the game from the uh, the comforts of the chairman's box, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> which was a, a, a rare, in rarefied air. There, obviously, something must have been bungled with the invitations there, and, and uh, it didn't make its <laughs> way made its way to me instead of you. Um, but um, well, that's because it's in Western Sydney, mate. So it's not in the bubble. So that's right, I don't exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, look, I don't know if it is an all-time low. I think it probably. You know, I, I'm not uh, well versed in the history of the Wallabies as such, and and I know obviously that uh, you know you could you could probably draw some comparisons to, to 70s and 60s even, um, you know, really pre the Australian rugby resurgence in the 80s and 90s. So I don't know if you want to turn into historical discussion, but I'm pretty sure it's more of a continuation of where we are. I don't think we've gone any lower than what we did when we lost to Scotland. Um, that was that was pretty bad, and we, we're playing to that standard. We almost lost to Italy the next week, and now, of course, the All Blacks tailed us up. I mean, it's it's entirely predictable, um, given the course that that uh, we've been we've been uh, sailing the last you know three months, last four months, and even probably dating back longer than that. So, is it an all-time low? I, 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 
yeah, it, it probably continues where we are, which is which is yeah. I mean, we're we're here now, and and that first half. I mean, I, I think the um the mood at the ground was just a, a disbelief that they could do such a thing two two years in a row. I mean, it was it was similarly shameful last year, and just well, as bad as last year. Oh, I mean, like, yeah. cause I remember, you know, it was just like computer shock, wasn't it? For, you know, uh, last year was well, it? Was it just as bad as that? Even, last year, you could say they had excuses because you remember that Matt Gitto got a bad head knock and was off in the third minute. Mm-hmm. Rob Horn, then I think, oh, I think it was Rob Horn. Someone broke his broke his arm, um, and all of a sudden we had Nick Phipps playing on the wing. I mean, so you could at least excuse them on that front. Um, I mean, this one was was just a. Was 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 no excuses at all, and some of the um, you know, it it, it got um, it got embarrassing very very quickly, and I think it was a, it was an it was amazing that uh, people still came out for the second half, and actually some of my friends were talking about leaving at half time because you know it it was it was that angry, and 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 you know my the phones and the twitters and all that stuff were were blowing up with with the same same sentiment. I mean, it's just. It's almost getting past anger now, which is the sad thing, Matt. And I don't know if I assume Jamie's Jamie's going to have an opinion on this, and and you know we, we'll get into the player by player and the, the technical analysis later. But um, I I just think there's a there's a malaise that's now sunken into everyone where we end up sort of almost happy that you know <laughs> uh, it wasn't 80 or 90 points, which is what it could have been at one stage, and it was only 54. Um, no, no, you. Which is a weird place to be. I mean, you're right. I mean, if there's a single number, just touching on what you're talking about, the malaise, if there's a single number, which is the low that you've got to worry about, is I believe that's the lowest Bledisloe Cup attendance um, at that stadium uh, since they started playing Bledisloe Cups there. Was it 58,000? Uh, yeah, 56. Um, 56,000. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that's a... That's the biggest worry, no doubt. Um, Jamie, uh, what about you, mate? Is is this an all-time low? Have we bo- have we bottomed? Yeah, I think we have. I think it was it was disgraceful. I mean, it was just an appalling performance. It was pathetic. Um, and I think that the the thing that was so hard to watch was that they didn't even make the All Blacks work for it. It was just soft try after soft try. Um, that short ball to Sonny Bill Williams close to the line where he just walked through two defenders. The first phase played a crotty. Um, I mean, the defensive system, there was just no evidence that it was present at all. I mean, it, I have literally seen schoolboy teams over here in America defend with a more consistent defensive system than the Wallabies showed on Saturday night. I mean, uh, that first try where they just shifted it out to the wing and Liam Squire couldn't believe that he was in so much space and he just jogged it in from 30 metres. I mean, it was it was absolutely amateur hour. It was embarrassing. And I, I, I really, I'm going to need a thesaurus for better words that aren't actually swear words right now. It was just so demoralising to watch. And frankly, to see some of the, some of the team and some of the coaches around them try to rationalise afterwards that it wasn't that bad was was really the salt in the wounds afterwards. No, yeah, I mean it was it was just it was, it was amazing, and I mean as you said there, Hugh, I mean we were, were we were on track for you know like a it's kind of like a I was going to say like a J- Japan in the World Cup score, but it wasn't like a Japan World Cup World Cup anymore. I mean very few minnow nations ship that many points in, in the World Cup anymore. Um, you know, if you prorated it and said basically it was going to be a 90 nil, um, the way that it was going, if you kind of shipped that many points in the first half, um, it was it was just it was quite breathtaking, wasn't it? And and in some ways you just you know all those memes that are out there around the you know the, the Simpsons where it's like you know please make it stop um, type thing, you know um, stop you know stop the slaughter. Um, in some ways it turned into sort of a I don't know, like a sick curiosity of where is this going to end up? And I was talking to some people today, actually, who were saying they actually hoped it did kind of blow out to like, you know, if it had blown out to like a 70 or an 80 or even a 90 nil, then surely that would have been the end. Like, you you know, it it would have just been right. Something has to change here. Like you can't limp through. Um, But I mean, we'll come on to question three, which is around whether there are any positives in the final scoreline. But I think some people were saying, geez, it would have in some ways it would have been good you know, to push it to the ultimate, um, to see some change. Um, and that probably takes us on to the second, 
question we've got tonight. So who does take the blame for this? I think we've all agreed this has got to be close to the very bottom, um, whichever way you sort of count it, whether it's through points shipped uh, or whether it's through people who now can't give a bugger about turning up to what's supposed to be the premier rugby uh, event in the calendar. Um, who does take the blame here, uh, Jamie? There's a number of people in the firing line. I think Nathan Gray probably copped it first out of the blocks from most people. Some of it's now rumbled around Checker. Uh, those guys seem to have been more t- pointing fingers um, at players, and there were some clear players who had shockers. Where do you go? Well, it's got to start with Gray. I mean, and it isn't just one match. I mean, this goes back right through last year. We talked extensively on this podcast about the Wallabies leaking points throughout last year. It goes right back to the June series against England. If you look at the score lines, the Wallabies scored lots of points across that series. We just conceded many more. Um, this is a, It's a disease. I mean, this is a team that cannot defend. This is a team that needs a complete overhaul of their defensive systems. They need to start again. They need the defensive coach out. They need a new guy in, and they need to start from the basics again. I mean, it is it is rotten. It is absolutely rotten. Um, I think my least favorite moment of the weekend was when the All Blacks shifted it to the left, I think, for Ioani's first try, and Karevi managed to somehow not even be in the defensive line. And, you know, this is a tactic that a lot of teams use at the moment. They want their 13, their edge defender, to be on the edge. So when the ball swings wide to one touchline, the 13 will make the tackle or be involved in the ruck and then jog around back right across the field to the other side. You see Kurudrani doing it all the time. But Karevi decided he was going to do that when the previous ruck had been basically in front of the posts. So he just ended up not having enough time to get to the edge and was a complete non-factor. And it was just it was just so amateurish. I mean, you just you thought that a schoolboy coach would be like, OK, dude, have you have you ever defended at 13 again before? Do you, do you know how to defend on the edge? Do you know how to be the right guy making those tough decisions? And there was just no evidence of it. I mean, we seemed to have like five or six guys in the back line who had no no right to be defending at international level. It was mm-hmm. it was appalling, and that's got to start with a defence coach, surely. Yeah, uh, Hugh. Um, look, I'll I'll say the primary person to take take the blame for me is actually Michael Checker, and I uh, I'm not a huge person. I, I agree with that too. I do agree with that. Oh look, every, there's enough blame to go around. Certainly, I think we can we can share <laughs> on enough people here. It's not is it you know. One person, I mean, for such a devastating loss, it's not just on the shoulders of one person. But Take your yeah. pick amongst the 54 points that you want. Oh, that's <laughs> right. That's right. And, and look, I'm not one really for, for harping on selection too much. I mean, I think in the broader, you know, in these big games, you know, simply saying it's won and lost at the selection table is, is a little bit simplistic and there's a lot more going on. But I honestly think this game, looking back on it, was, was lost at the selection table. How... how did we, looking in hindsight, think that we could go into a test with our two primary defenders in the backs being Samu Karevi and Curtis Rona? I mean, they <laughs> absolutely mind-numbingly, ridiculously stupid. And but then go to the rest, mate. Like, you know, look who's then look who's around them. Look who's supposed to be this, you know, uh, you know what they're they're looking to cover up for. You know, Bernard Foley, you know, got a heart of a line, but he's not a big guy, and he tends to be protected anyway. Kurtley Beale was seen as a turnstile, has got better. You still wouldn't say that he's an international defender. Izzy Falau, we've all had suspicions over, and he got found out um, as well. And who was it? Oh, sorry, Henry Spate, that other guy who, you know, perennially looks like he just doesn't know where where he's meant to be, yet runs really, really fast um, around to kind of make up for it. That was our defensive back line (laughs) against the All Blacks. And and mind-numbing. It's it's absolutely ridiculous, and you know, you know, most backlines around the world will have one that one guy that's that's the defensive leader, um, you know, mm-hmm. the, the the person that sets the tone, that sets the line, that sets the speed, um, and is 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 calling the shots. I have no idea who was that who that was for the Wallabies, and mm-hmm. any option is worrying, you know. And actually, you could see the you could see the instant changes when Kurandrani came on because um, yeah, we actually finally had someone out there. Um, that, that knew what they were doing. And, and I'm not one for, for, for calling for people to be hooked. Um, and I feel sorry for this guy in many ways because he was thrust into a test, you know, with months, you know, after being out for a couple of months. But Samu Karevi, you know, should have been hooked at the 20-minute mark. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I think Michael Checker took, took 
a, a, a bit of uh, you know showed a bit of mercy there and, and let him limp to half time. But you know he was just so totally at sea um, and you know put in a role where there was no support around him too. I mean that's uh, he, you know he's still a pretty young guy and he's still got a pretty bright future ahead of him. But he needed a, a guy like a, a Carmichael Hunter or a Billy Meeks or you know even Shudder dare say Reg will be rolling in his grave on this. But Rob Horn, someone who can actually defend and hold a line together, um, you know, t- to help him. And, and you look at what the All Blacks have got with Ryan Crotty, what the Lions had with Jonathan Davis, what, what you know, England have with a guy like Farrell. Um, you know, these these guys that, that really are the linchpins of the defence in the back line. And, you know, some of the analysis, and I know the dead ball areas just put up a great piece on the on the website on greengoldrugby.com, and um, everyone should get, get on and read that because it's fantastic. But... You know, it just some of the just the simple errors. I mean, there was a scrum uh, late in the first half, which which was the one that Ryan Crotty scored from. Where Matt the Matt the All Blacks lined up. The scrum was probably about 15 out from from the uh, left hand touch line, and the All Blacks had one winger on the on the blind side, and they had uh, an open side with five people. And we decided we'd line two people on the blind side against the All Blacks one. And we had Will Genia stationed behind the scrum, so really in no position to make any tackles whatsoever. And we had and we had uh, four backs, just doing the sums in my head, or three backs really and a full back, uh, lined up on the open side against the All Blacks five. So literally all the All Blacks did was, was uh, run a few... Um, decoy runners wide which stretched out a fence and Crotty ran through a hole that was as you know as as wide as you know it's like parting the Red Sea and not to mention Samu Karevi was there and he wouldn't have done anything about it anyway so you, you had these um, you know amazingly amateurish errors where we just decided we wouldn't line up properly you know um, I think it was um, Rico Ioani's first try where we had we, Will Genia Samu Karevi and two front rowers were defending one person in the back line you know, they all lined up on the same bloke. I mean, it, it's just, it, it, it's, yeah, it, it's absolutely unbelievable some of some of the um, mistakes that were made, and and you just wonder what what have they been doing for four weeks? I mean, it was just yeah. they were all at sea, and and you know, you show you how much we miss Carmichael Hunt, but um, you know, a guy like uh, you think Kurandrani comes back in, but um, you know, let's let's not let's shout around to Stephen Moore's got to go. Will Genia had lead in his boots. Sean McMahon had a bit of a shocker. Um, you know, basically everyone except Adam Coleman can can you know probably have a, have a week or two on the sidelines. I feel, and yeah. the sad thing is, I feel the most for Rona and Karevi because I think they were thrust into an environment where they had no chance at all of coping in a system that was a shambles. And now they've been made the, the fall guys, but really, I don't know. I don't know if they could have done much better than what they did. Well, as we just pointed out, how did anyone put up that back line, like on a board, and say, right, guys, here's the starting lineup against the All Blacks, and not have a fits of fucking laughter? You know, because as you go through it and you just say, every single one of those people who were on that pitch, you know, probably except for Genia, except that. You know, as we can see, as we've seen, Genia, I don't know, he's either not fit or pulled a harder lich, I'm not sure which one. Um, you know, every one of them from, from Genia have got defensive problems, massive problems, if not have been shown to be a complete liability on an international field, like Karevi has been, you know, got totally found out against the Palms. Um, how do you, how do you put that up and someone in, how does someone in the camp not go, look, sorry, check, mate. Love, love you, you know, great passion, great energy, but you have got to be kidding if you think you're putting that back line out against the All Blacks because they are going to absolutely shred it. And in fact, you're going to give up at least 50 points as we did. Um, what sort of mindset does a squad or a coaching panel or anybody or even the, the water boy who's walked in and seen it on the wall, what sort of mindset is in the camp if they think that's a good idea? And probably we've seen, because we even saw, like, I mean, Larkham has, was in the press saying, we don't actually think we had a bad game. We just made a lot of errors. So, you know, riddle me that if you can. Um, but that's, that's well, like, that's up there with Dean's speak. I've got a theory. And, and it's not, and, and I think I kind of mentioned it on the podcast a little bit, alluded to it last week. So, 
you go into that game and you, and going into a game against the All Blacks, I mean, we've got Buckley's really going in, regardless of what team we pick, we're still losing that game. You know, there's no combination we pick that magically, you know, can can hold the All Blacks to to something, you know, where we can potentially get ahead of them. So as check. Do you, as Michael Checker, go, fuck it. So, sorry for the language there. Um, really taking a leaf out of the report card, uh, lads. Um, but, you know, um, so to speak... I think you were um, directly quoting... You were directly quoting Checker there. Well, that, that's yeah. right. Um, but, you know, um, why not have a punt? That is the game why not, why not take a punt? What's the worst that can happen? Is it better... You know, the, the way that we're going to win this game is by making it a shootout, a high-scoring game... And we somehow, you know, we might fluke it and get out to a 20 nil lead quickly and see if we can put the All Blacks under some pressure. Yes, this back line can't tackle, but we'll try and patch it up the best we can. We're going to put all of our attacking firepower in there and just see what happens. And the worst case scenario is we lose the game by 60, but hey, we were never going to win it anyway. So, you know, it, that in that through that lens, you kind of like, well, maybe, maybe that's the one <laughs> rationale for it. Is that hey? Well, I think, you know, we may as well go out far. We may as well go out in a blaze of glory if we're going to do it. And I think to point out, you know, the obvious, which was that the first 15 minutes or so wasn't that bad. In fact, we had we had much the better of the play. And this is a consistent pattern: is that in attack we look really comfortable on the ball. You know, we're not super clinical, but we're we're very happy to to use the ball and we're creative and we're taking the initiative. It, it, it almost seems like they spend 90% of the time at training practicing attack and just almost no time at all practicing defense when every other club and international team in rugby at the moment is re-emphasizing defense and just spending a lot of time doing that. It's almost as though Checker and his team did not watch the Lions series at all. And, you know, coming back to who carries the can for this, I mean, there are really two questions here. Firstly, you know, what does it say about Australian rugby that we can suffer a loss like that and nobody resigned? Um, it says terrible, terrible things. And the talk after the match, Larkham, Gray and Checker just played all the wrong notes. It was like, you know, me playing the violin. It was just everything was wrong about it. And the second issue is, do we think he can turn it around? And the evidence is has got to be a no. Um, they're just everything suggests that. Checker believes in this up-tempo A-game and is not going to change. I mean, it's a, it's an ideological thing that he just doesn't think that defence is critical to winning matches. And I can't see that. Can you guys see that changing? I mean, is there anything that you think that this is going to turn around? Well, the only thing is, and, and, and maybe we grasp at straws here, and I mean, maybe there's another reason why this happened and whether it was a coach in the mix or whether it was the fitness or what it was or the players, but, you know, you go back to the 2014 Tars who, uh, you know, wasn't it that they basically gave away the fewest number of tries in, in that tournament? Um, you know, they had, you know, they I think they had one of the best attacks and one of the best defences, and... Running that team was Michael Checker and Nathan Gray. So you, you kind of say, well, you know, you, you grasp at those straws and you and you hope, but then you then look at every year since, and it's just progressively got worse, both at the Tars with Gray there, and and with Checker and Gray at the at the Wallabies. And you've looked at those numbers before, and I think those numbers must just even be worse now, Jamie. I mean, we thought they were bad enough in that first England series here. Um, you know, it's blown out. We just, we seem to be, we give away the softest of international tries there are going. Um, I just don't know, to your point, you know, what can they be possibly be doing on a training ground? Here's the other thing, though, that I do play in my head that, I don't know, uh, you know, is a point that you were making earlier, Hugh, is that usually in a squad or in a player base, you'd say, okay, you know, you have a whitewash like we did say, right, it's time to stop the rot. I'm going to throw in. And, I mean, Nathan Gray would have been one of those players, right? Um, he would have been one of those players who said, right, I'm, you know, I don't mind how limited this, these players are, um, you know, from an attacking perspective. I need to, you know, really shore this up. And most coaches would be able to do that from sort of game to game. Um, I actually wouldn't put Tavita Kundrani as one of the absolute best defenders I've seen as well. He can get – we know he can get sh- caught out as the rabbit as well but who else would you put in there like just looking across Australian rugby who's that rock in the midfield that you know might seem you know your Dan Herbert 
you know, who, you know, who's going to be, like I say, potentially limited in attack, but no one is going to get past. Who is that now? Well, I, think it, I think it's Billy Meeks. Do you think? Ah, uh, do you think he's? I don't know. I think he's a good crash ball runner. Is he? I, I, I think I've seen him get caught out a few times. In well, defense. I mean, the, I think the the best midfield defender that I can think of at the moment is is Matt Tamua. Matt Tamua is is a guy who tackles way above his weight and and he's buggered off to go play overseas. I mean, you know, Tamua, Horn, these are guys who who are good, solid defensive centers. If you want to stick them in there, Tamua in that twelve channel in particular. Especially using his head through people's knees. Oh, he loves, he loves to put his head in front of other players' hips and get concussed. Yes. <laughs> um, unfortunately. Yeah, look, it just feels to me like at the moment you just look around and we, we, we've, we've kind of bred that out of our centres is that, you know, everyone has to be like a super ball handling, um, you know, crazy man. And, you know, that, that hard man of the centre, maybe it is Meeks, I don't know. Well, so I'm, 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 on the, I'm on the stats at the moment, uh, and I'll update you as we go. Billy Mix has come out of, of Super Rugby with a tackle effectiveness of 74%, so that's 106 makes and 22 misses. So that's hardly, um, you know, hardly uh, rock solid. So uh, watch this space. I'll, I'll, I'll compile a little little analysis as we go, and I'll, I'll report back. Um, well, he could fit. He could fit right into the Wallabies because, I mean, just looking at uh, the dead ball areas. Article. I mean, in that game, uh, we only made 69% of our tackles. Uh, that's, that's appalling. I don't think I've seen that in an international game before. So made 68, missed 30. Um, where New Zealand made 139 and missed 23. The, the, the report card boys will kick me for this, but Carl Godwin's got an 86%. Success rate. He's injured, obviously, at the moment, but uh, he is. Um, he's always injured. He's, he's always. Injured. Injured. <laughs> he's not doing too badly for himself. I shudder because I'm going to the Waratahs now, and we'll see. We'll see how that ended up. But um, I think yeah. I think the guy who they probably will bring in, you know, to try to sort of shore that up is is Reece Hodge. Um, I think he's the he's the guy who they they think they can play on the wing and fold into the midfield and is a good defender, runs straight lines, but. I'm not on the Hodge bandwagon. I think the rest of his game's a bit undeveloped, but, uh, you know, he does that well enough. He's, he's, he's solid. If I had to pick a word to describe him, he's solid. Okay. Well, look, let's then move into question three, which is can we take any positives for this week? And I guess I think this is one of the arguments that raged, uh, I know, in the comments uh, on, the, on the website on Green and Gold Rugby in some of, uh, I think, Brian Smith's analysis, who actually chose not to dwell on the defensive, but um, on the attack in the, in the red zone, um, without shirking talking about the defence. And th- this was this whole uh, thing of, you know, the second half comeback, uh, where I think we scored, was it 34 points um, or 30 points um, against the All Blacks? Um, can you see that, you know, in a positive, is that in a positive light or is that just crazy points? The All Blacks had kind of checked out and, um, and, and they, they sort of didn't care. So I'm going to let you stay with the research there, Hugh. Jamie, can we take anything out of that? I mean, it was better than not, I guess. Um, you know, I sort of go back to that point you had, you had earlier that if it had been worse, would somebody have resigned? I mean, I was I was thinking by half time. I thought this was it. I thought this was the moment where Checker does a McKenzie and steps down, or takes next week's game and steps down, um, because it's it's just it can't keep going on. Like there's there's no evidence this is going to turn a corner, and I think just those couple of tries in the second half seem to give the coaching staff some very misplaced sense of a, of accomplishment in the game. Um, I mean, of course, that wasn't the worst thing that happened in that second half. The worst thing was actually when they, when Seiko decided to give a watch to Kurtley Beale as like the best Australian player on the pitch, and <laughs> Kurtley had to stand there for a camera and smile and accept it. I, I mean, it was just a terrible look. These guys have have no idea how to connect with the fans at all. I mean, it was just such a shameful day for Australian rugby, and to see Seiko being like, no, nah, no, nah, but you know, Kurtley played pretty well. Here's a watch. Um, just a just a terrible look. Um, I really so to your question. I don't think we should be taking too many positives out of it. The All Blacks just took their foot off the gas in a big way, and we scored a couple of tries. One of which was extremely fluky. 
Um, so, you know, big deal. Uh, Hugh? Look, uh, I think um, th- there's a certain uh, faction in, in, in Australian rugby who who just look for misery at, at, at all, um, you know, in all parts of the game. And, and there's a certain, pe- you know, group of people who are going to jump down my throat for even suggesting there's a semblance of a positive to take from, from that game. And, and so I've got to, you know, give the disclaimer that, of course, the game was a shambles and, and you know, we shouldn't be happy with any part of it. And it was utterly disappointing. However, I, I think the comeback at the end, the 27 unanswered points, that, that, that meant something. That, that wasn't nothing. And I actually, I was really interested being at the game and seeing seeing how invested the crowd still was in those last 20, 30 minutes. You know, mm. I, you know the, the the cheers that the Wallabies got for their for those tries was actually um, very surprising, and and the fact that people were not only still watching but happy to applaud for what was clearly you know um, the the emptiest of consolation tries was 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 interesting and the mood going home wasn't as dire as what you thought it would be because I think you know it, it meant that everyone left with a kind of weirdly buoyant feeling that we'd scored four late tries and and the scoreline you know if you hadn't actually seen the game was not horrible and and so you know it it, it um it changed the narrative only you know a little bit in and in the sense of it was going to be a historic all-time loss for the ages and actually ended up being just a standard kind of loss that what we've endured for the last you know 10 to 15 years with the All Blacks it's not particularly out of the ordinary so mm. you know I, I don't think we can excuse obviously everything that came before but but you know to score four tries and to score 27 points albeit doesn't matter how meaningless and how much the All Blacks took their foot off the pedal I, I think it did it did help. Um, you know, I think it would help the players' confidence. I think it would help, um, you know, the fans. I think it helps, you know, um, it, it helps just, I don't know, the general feeling of despair that we all have to carry with us day to day. And, uh, you know, to have something, to have some silver lining, to have some highlights that we can look at. Um, look, I, I think it's I think it's something. And I also think, you know, Jamie mentioned it earlier, but if we're actually going and breaking down the game... Um, our attack was pretty good. I mean, I, we scored what was you know 34 points or whatever it was. We we um and in the first half, you know, we came off having scored six points to the All Blacks 40. Um, but you know, if you isolated it just to our attack, it it, it was okay. Um, you know, we had a few forays. We got into their 22 and we came away with points. You know, it's not you know that part in itself was was okay. Uh, obviously, the defence was just deplorable, but um, you know, it, it, you feel like it's um, yeah, it's I don't know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just crazy, Matt. But uh, <laughs> well, look, we I, mean, look I think the, look, I think a way to look at it is like it's really unfortunate because as soon as you ship 50 points in the first half, you know, whatever comes next, it's very hard to you know, to, to make a lot of meaning out of. But I guess if you look at it in terms, in, in, in some ways, like, for example, clearly the big mistake, as we desc- as we described earlier on, was the selection was just abominable. Um, and clearly, you know, whatever training they've been, you know, defence has been bad anyway. And then you put that against that selection and it looks like they just didn't bother to even talk about defence during the week. And, and we got what we got in that first half. What was, I guess, the flip of that was how easily, what would I say easily, but how demonstrably the game turned around um, in the second half. I mean, quite amazingly so. And uh, even the Kiwi commentators on our site were sort of saying, guys, you know, I wouldn't dismiss that. Like, all black sides don't let up. There is no foot that comes off throat in any way intentionally. And we've seen that. It's, it's, It's known. So you can't suddenly say, oh, the... All Blacks were just kind of uh, they couldn't be bothered, like as if, um, even when they were scoring their fiftieth point, you know, um, Aaron Smith was going crazy with excitement. So it wasn't like you know this is just another day at the office. So or a day I, in a Christchurch airport toilet. Yeah, <laughs> but so look, I think all those things. But so the thing though that was just as much an insult still to the coaching staff and everything that they'd done was how just when that those rev- selection blunders got turned around at half time how much it changed so yeah clearly putting tk um back into center made a massive change 
Um, I think um, having you know Phipps at halfback made a massive change, especially in attack. Suddenly we were playing at tempo. The connection between him, Foley, um, Beal, and Falau was back, and we know that that works. Um, I think we saw you know uh, everything that was about um, uh, you know. Uh, our, the previous halfback, <laughs> Genia, um, his name I'm starting to expunge from my head, um, you know, was just an absolute shocker. And how he's in auto selection, I was actually surprised that he even got pulled at halftime. Clearly, it was even big enough um, that he'd done that. And then I think, as the uh, Kiwi commentators on our site said, like, that's the most amount of points that the All Blacks have ever shipped in a second half. Um, the, 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 and what that also exposed was that depth of the All Blacks bench. It wasn't what. I think a lot of people expected it to be. Um, I think that got exposed even by us. Um, so that you, you put all those things together, and I think that's pretty interesting. And you, then you've got to ask the question: Is well, if the second, if the team in the second half had started in the first, what would have happened? The other thing was we didn't get completely belted at the at um, set piece time. Yeah, uh, the scrums and the lineouts were both really good. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's what we did instead of defensive practice. I don't know. But, uh, you know, two key things that would normally say, well, if you've got those two things going in a test against the All Blacks, you're in with a shout. Uh, and, you know, clearly the defence just completely let that down. So you, you, you kind of keep going back to that egregious mistake, which was around selection, together with poor preparedness and respect for defence, which is just become a rot throughout the team and you kind of say well look geez you just fix those two things up and and look what's possible um you can actually put that all black team under pressure and you can actually you know run in 27 points um fairly unbelievably so i don't know if you get if you to take a positive i mean that's that's the most i can spin out of it i it doesn't make me feel like i mean look you know you replay that game a hundred times and we lose that game a hundred times I, I i don't see where we win it in the way that they approached it. Um, you know, is this maybe this, I don't know, is this part of some sort of grand plan? Um, you know, God knows. I mean, you know, in, in talking about some of the performances in there, are there any that we can isolate that we thought that were really positive? I mean, I think everyone would agree. Adam Coleman keeps shining through. Yeah, he's just a, just a cut above. But I've I got to say, I was more distracted by the really anonymous performances when I sat down and watched the game again, I mean, you know, back rowers are the guys who are involved the most in the game, but between the two of them, Sean McMahon and Ned Hannigan were completely anonymous in that game. They were just, they just did nothing. Um, there's, there's, there's gotta be a change in the back row there. I'd be very unsurprised to see Tamani come in this week. Um, and on attack, Falau was amazing. Um, you know, I said this somewhere, but that run he made in the second half where he, burst through everybody and then turned Bowden Barrett inside and outside in Campisi style, desperately looking for support and not finding any, was basically the perfect metaphor for Australian rugby over the last five years. Um, just him all out there on his own and nobody else able to give him the barest amount of support to score the try. So, mm. you know, that defensive error in the first half was pretty hard to believe, but on attack, you know, he's still he's still gangbusters. Yeah. Look, I will say we got the rub of the green a couple of times, though. I still can't believe that try he scored where oh. I think it, it, it bounced quite clearly, I think, from was it um, from uh, uh, TK to him. And I don't, I don't know how we got away with that try. And then also, I think we, an awful pass from Foley. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. How do you even throw that? And that it doesn't get ruled forward. I guess it went, I guess it went back out of the hands. And then um, the other one was that, that Foley's – Obligatory charge down, um, which he somehow rescued. That was my God. I, I don't even he didn't think that had happened, um, but somehow we got the rubber of the green on the TMO twice there. Um, so that was a definitely like a fourteen point turnaround um, in that game, uh, which you know I guess made it, it an even passable sort of score. Uh, anyone stand out to you, Hugh, as far as you know? Well, it's potential it's glimmer of hope. Interesting. Um, Jamie pulled out Ned Hannigan because. The stats actually bear out that he was, you know, in defence and, and hitting rucks was actually, you know, did quite a bit of work. So, I mean, I think it's it, he's unfortunately, you know, I've never seen it's a player. Fake news, Cavill. It's, it's fake news. Oh. I don't, I don't need your facts and your statistics. <laughs> oh no, it's, no, it's, no it's but it's all I, about how I feel. 
I you're going to have to read the maps. You know? Neither of us are believing you on, on this. I, I don't have them in front of me, but, but do you know ah. um, when, when, when you ever, any one of those subbies club, I was having a chat, you know, or a subbies or a grade club, you know when there's a, there's a cult who's thrown into second grade or first grade, and, and you know, you, you, their enthusiasm's good, but, you know, clearly they're two or three years away and they're a bit skinny and they look like they're a bit out of their depth physically and you'll wince every time they get the ball. That's Ned Hannigan. It's it's the same thing, you know, except he's playing Test Rugby and he's, he you know, he his photo when it comes up on the screen at, before the game, it looks like a 12-year-old and, and he plays like one too, you know. He's, he, he's industrious, but I, I just don't know. He's clearly not ready for it. So, I mean, God, there's got to be someone else we can put in. Um... And, you know, he could be a great player, Ned Hannigan, but I think he's still a few years away. Um, in terms of positives, um, other players that we can pull out, um, I don't know, I think I think our front row, uh, Stephen Moore aside, had, had it, Scotty Seo and Alan A are, are, have entrenched themselves pretty well. Their work at the set piece is good, and they have, a, you know, they have a pretty good uh, involvement uh, carrying the ball. Um, and I don't know, I think that's about it. I can't, I'm not going to really... Uh, praise anyone else because because no one no one frankly deserves it yeah i mean i i guess one thing to go back through and look i just don't know if i can i don't know if i can really maybe, maybe i'll just watch the second half but um we just kind of watch the scrums because i think just about just about everybody but tom robertson seemed to hold it up pretty well um uh which which was good to see so um look yeah maybe there's a hope there um all right so we'll stop trying to delude ourselves um about that shocking kind of almost worst ever loss um and get into and move away from international rugby we're all good with that um and move into well what's kind of still kind of a breaking story i mean this this is the gift that keeps giving this one uh and the question we've got uh was was the force rally good or bad for aussie rugby uh but with some of the developments tonight i'm not even sure if the question matters it's just um talk about the force and the aru but you know maybe bringing us up to speed hugh um what were the developments today well the ARU went and had a sit-down meeting with uh, Twee Forrest, um, who is flush with cash, having uh, seen the iron ore price skyrocket and Fortescue medals um, record pretty record profits. Um, but the word is that, that essentially this is the, the campaign to try and save the force, and and uh, after after a huge uh, protest rally uh, with a few thousand people there on the weekend, and the word coming out of uh, the negotiations was that uh, Andrew Forrest put $50 million on the table um, in order to uh, bring the Western Force back and also uh, guaranteed uh, the Western Force's future in terms of you know, if they were lo- starting to lose money or had any debts, that he would cover those debts. And the ARU said thank you, but no thank you, and, and walked away. Uh, that you know, I think they're calling them productive discussions and looking forward to ensuring the future of the game. But geez, walking away from fifty million dollars—I mean, it's 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 a mess of a situation because you know that that um, yeah, ARU are now wedded to Sanzar and they've signed agreements with TV providers to have four teams. But God, you know, what if if Twiggy Forest comes away and comes now with a hundred million? What are they going to do? Yeah. Well, look, the, the one thing about that story is I'm just not sure where that 50 million was going and over what time period. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's one thing to throw around big numbers. Um, the one thing that was interesting was that point about him underwriting the force. But I guess where the AU had kind of got them to now is, you know, they've taken so long for this thing to get sorted out that they've been committed that a team is going um, to Sansa, um, that, you know, it, it was going to need to be a 15 team competition. It's just that there's just no space at the end. There can't be another team uh, seems to be the thing. Um, you know, what are you making of all this, Jamie? I don't know what to make of it. I mean, just the idea that, that, someone could come in and offer that kind of money and the ARU would say no is entirely predictable. I mean, I think that that, that's basically what the ARU doesn't understand. It doesn't understand that it does not own rugby, that the fans own rugby. If the ARU disappeared tomorrow and never to exist again, was wound up and buried six feet under, 
and was replaced by some other new governing body, nothing would change. Nobody would give a shit. Nobody would care. No one would be any worse off. They exist to promote the game. And I just can't see how the ARU can walk away from that kind of grassroots support that the Western Force can get 8,000 people out, all dressed in Western Force jerseys on a nice day with no game to watch whatsoever. I mean, its charter is to promote rugby in the country. Its charter is not to kowtow to Japanese economic power and hope that they're going to be the ones to rescue the game. It's not to, you know, placate a South African rugby union that has shown itself to be completely untrustworthy and to very much not have its shit together. Its mission is not to pay Wilgenia a reported $800,000, which just boggles the mind. Uh, Its goal is to help the game flourish. And the Western Australians are saying, you know, we just need a little bit of water here at the moment. Just let us let us grow. And the ARU is 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 saying no. It's tearing out the flower and and throwing it away. Like I just I can't believe it. It is simultaneously unbelievable and simultaneously entirely predictable at the same time. Um, the ARU just needs to have a a major rethink of what its purpose is and realize that it serves the game. That the fans, as proved by club rugby all over the the country this year, the fans desperately want that connection with rugby. There's still a market there. It exists. People want to see an authentic product that they can really identify with. And the ARU needs to needs to facilitate that and stop standing in the way of it. It's uh, it's 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 so sad to see. Yeah. But <laughs> don't you see, Jamie, this is the, this is the um, absolute genius of the AOU, which is that if you leave a complete void and a complete vacuum, um, then other people will just have to step in and to make it happen <laughs> like they've done in sort of club rugby this year where I think we've had some of the best crowds going. And um, and to be frank, actually, in my experience, I mean, that's what green and gold rugby's done. You know, it's it's stood it's it's actually stood in and done it despite um, the AAU. In fact, I think the last two um, interactions I had with the AAU were them um, threatening to sue us over our logo. And what was the other one? Oh, that's right, that they intervened uh, to stop um, a sponsor um, getting involved with us um, at one stage. So that's kind of the last two interactions we had with them. Um, And I must admit, over the years, the whole thing has been, if we can't own you, um, then we don't want to work with you. So if we don't have full control, then, you know, there can't be a partnership. Um, so, and- so what you're saying is if green and gold rugby represents the grassroots of rugby in Australia, that Twiggy Forest's $50 million would be a little welcome at the green and gold rugby site. Look, look yeah, Twiggy, you won't get the same reception you got with Cameron Klein. Um, I'll give you my number, mate, and uh, drop, yeah, give me a call. We'll even leave a bit over for the force. We won't need that full 50. <laughs> Uh, well, really, with you, but, Matt, it's just a it's just a drop in the bucket, actually, isn't it? That 50 <laughs> I think I think we've well, just the found the solution. To run, mate. The Western Force keep playing, and if they need a jersey sponsor, Green and Gold Rugby will sponsor, funded by by Forest. Um, exactly. I can totally see it. We can be the Green and Gold Rugby Western Force, coached by we, Dave Vessels. We, we pretty course. much are. We, we are we are known as the the West Coast Rugby Podcast, after all. That's right. Um, and hello, big but, hello to Dave Vessels as as a voice. Indeed. Um, actually, there was one thing that happened. Uh, <laughs> there was one thing. Uh, yeah, he's one of our keenest listeners, I believe. Um, the one thing that happened, I'd be interested in your, your, your guys' take on this. So I actually, um, by accident, happened to watch the, uh, the, the Fox Sports show the other night. And, well, actually, a couple of things struck me, I must say. Did anyone else find it a bit weird if you were watching the Fox, uh, the Fox Sports presentation of the test? that the guy talking and doing the interviews at halftime is the high-performance coach of the AA, at the AAU? It, did that not strike anyone as just uh, a paper? Yeah. I'm like, ah, oh, this is all a bit strange, isn't it? I mean, if you wanted a symbol of just how incestuous that whole pool is, you know, you've got the board member, John Eels, um, uh, you know, or it's the Tim Horan, uh, you know, Reds, board member or then you've got you know the the high performance coach of the AAU. Yeah, but, I mean but to, to be fair know, though I think that's not a problem unique to rugby I could I could show you Eddie Maguire on AFL who's the president of Collingwood I could show you Mark Taylor commenting the cricket when he's a board member of Cricket Australia I could show you Phil Gould who's the president I think or 
or CEO of Penrith, um, who mm. does all the stuff at nine. So I think, you know, I think it's just is is part of the territory. Not not to more not of to a more, more of a comment on, on Australian media and sport, but um, well, that's right. So th- there was all of that going on. But anyway, the one thing that the CAFE and this was the other bit that I thought was interesting because. Funnily enough, suddenly on the couch when they were having this conversation about what had happened with the force, because I think they were talking about how the force had got axed that day. Um, and then and Kaif did pipe up and strangely enough, defending the ARU position now, he's the high performance coach, um, and sort of say, uh, well, actually, I do need to point out that actually the re- one of the reasons why the force have done so well this year is because uh, Dave Wessels actually got put in by the ARU as did Barakat and I think the conditioning coach as well, um, and a whole bunch of other things. So it was actually, you know, he was drawing a strong line between the centralisation um, at the force and that it actually become more involved with the AAU and, you know, what's taken hold since then. I, I don't know if either of you guys saw that or if that, if those coincidences had hit you, Hugh. I mean, th- th- does that ring true with you that actually maybe part of why the force... And, and you know has had its rally. I mean, figuratively as well as actually has had its rally this year is actually because someone else um, stood in. Oh look, I I think that's a part of it. I don't know how the AU can claim credit though, considering Dave Vessels is a product of the force. He was assistant coach there, so it's it's not like the AU plucked him from obscurity to to take the reins of the force. Um, you know, I, I think, but but I mean. Guys, the question is, what what do we do? I mean, so Twiggy Forest puts fifty million. Twiggy Twiggy Forest could put fifty billion dollars on the table, and and what can the AU do? They're in an agreement where they've got four teams. So the the Rebels have got them tied in a knot, so they cannot kick out the Rebels legally, um, unless they all you know pay the VRU a ridiculous amount of money. Um, so what? What can they do? I mean, we get to the point where are we just burning Super Rugby to the ground so we can take Twiggy Forest's cash? Essentially, that's what he's asking them to do. So, I mean, I'm not sure what you know the AAU have signed with Sansa. I actually have a feeling that the responsibility is more to the broadcasters than it is to Sansa. But, you know, I, I feel like that, that we're in a no-win situation here. And getting to the back to the question we asked, is, is this good or bad for rugby? I, I think it's probably bad. I mean, I, I love the force guys. We, we, I love the team. I love the the people. But, but I mean, I, to me, this is this is only going to win one way, unfortunately. Mm. Look, and Twiggy, if you're listening, um, look, actually, Dave Vessels, if you, you know, Kepler, if you're listening, mate, um, be great to get your insight on that. Just tweet us um, about. Uh, your take on, you know, how much did the AU have to do with the turnaround of the force this year, or was this something that was already happening? Um, obviously, we'd love to get you on the show um, and, and get your take on it. Um, here's another take for you, though. And, you know, Twiggy, if you're listening, I'll still take um, a good chunk of that 50 million, mate. Don't worry. But here's a cynical part of me that says, to your point, Hugh, you know, they're tied into four licenses. And unless they're going to somehow rip up their binding contract with Sansa, i.e. they're not, or slash they can't, uh, can you imagine what would fall on them to try and pull out of Sansa now? Um, or somehow force Sansa into finding, to completely restructuring a competition. Um, if you take that and you say, hmm, Twiggy's not an idiot. So Twiggy knows that there's pretty much no way that AIU can get out of this situation. Um this is a lot of cheap PR from Mr. Forrest, don't you, wouldn't you say? So, yeah. you know, and it was interesting how there wasn't uh, – I, I didn't know he was even interested in the force until that final match when suddenly yeah. he was out in front of the cameras in that huddle. It was all a bit orcs, I thought, um, as he kind of stood in the middle and, you know, G'd everybody up. And obviously I don't blame any of the players. I mean, if he's talking about a lifeline, that's great. But I was, you know, pretty surprised that, all of that stuff happened with, um, you know, that Mark Sinderbury had organised. I mean, I mean, look, maybe he was working behind the scenes and we didn't know. And if, he's, if that was the case, someone said it straight and, you know, I'll wash my mouth out. But otherwise, it's like, hmm, this guy's coming at last minute. Pretty much everything's – we know where everything's headed. But suddenly he's making lots of promises. And, you know, is that just an F- empty 50 million? I mean, you know, it's, it's a it's – a, it's a crazy big number, but what are you going to do? It's not enough to buy out the Sansar contract. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I don't know what you do with it. 
And that's fair enough. But I mean, whether he, whether it is a bit of cheap publicity or whether it isn't, it doesn't change the fact that he's he's got a good cause there and that he he is expressing the will of the fans. Um, you know, I think a lot of Super Rugby fans want a lot of Australian rugby fans want a different Super Rugby structure, um, and they just get denied a voice. There's just there's never any acknowledgement from the ARU that the fans' voice matters. Um, and if ever if we got a petition with a hundred thousand signatures saying that we wanted to move to a competition with Australia and New Zealand and a Pacific Island team or something like that, and just cut off the South Africans entirely, the ARU still wouldn't do it. Like they they have contempt for the fans. They don't care, and they actively seem to not want to do what the fans want. And it's good to see someone in the celebrity line who's not. Spiro Zavos, who's not Alan Jones, standing up and actually giving some voice to these guys and and good on them for coming out and, and having a rally like that. I don't think you could get the Waratahs to turn up to Moore Park, 8,000 people all in jerseys for for no entertainment, you know, and for no rugby. Um, we so, can't get that up for a match. <laughs> right, exactly. So good on the force for doing that, you know. Yeah. I'm pretty no, impressed. No, it is amazing what it's, what it's pulled out of that community. And it does leave you saying, how can you just cut it adrift? Um, it 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 feels like that's an untenable situation at the moment. That you just kind of say, "Oh, look, you know, sorry guys, but you're over." Um, and I think that's where all the hurt is uh, sort of coming from. Um, yeah. All right. So that's the latest instalment there. I think that means we're back to the courts, um, and uh, we'll see what happens. I, I I don't know how much. There's all sorts of lawsuits flying around now, and I don't know how deep those you uh, pockets are. So. It is going to be fascinating to see what happens there. Final question around the grounds. What's happening in club rugby this week? Any regular uh, listeners to the podcast know just how much I'm up on my um, international sevens uh, and uh, club rugby. Um, So, Hugh, take us away, mate. What is happening uh, from a – I think we've got a big game just up the road for me, haven't we? Uh, We do, but we're going to start up north, uh, Matt. We're going to start with uh, Hugh. UQ taking out the Hospital Cup, Queensland Premier Rugby, um, beating GPS at Ballymore 23-14 in front of a healthy crowd of uh, just under 7,000 people, um, which is fantastic. And it's going to be a bit of a recurring theme in this segment because the crowds are healthy and the rugby on field is strong. Um, so congratulations to uh, to UQ for, for taking, out, uh, taking out that cup because um, they uh, had... Lost a few weeks before to GPS in the in the semi final and the comeback to beat them in the final, um, which is a, which is a great turnaround. So uh, well done to uh, to those uh, guys up there. Um, in terms of Sydney club rugby, um, well, I mean we had the semi finals this weekend um, and uh, we uh, had a, a couple of absolutely cracking games. We start, started on Saturday and, and with. Uh, the traditional Ringer v Manly game um, at Rat Park, the, the Battle of the Beaches, and a massive crowd in for that one, and, and they saw Warringah take it out. Um, I don't have the final score in front of me, but I think it would have been... It was the margin... The end margin was about uh, eight or nine points off the top of was my head. Was it 27-17, something like that? Uh, yeah, it well, could have been 10 points then. Um, mm. And uh, the... Um, yeah, it, it was great to see, and um, and... Unfortunately, Manly were, were, were struck down with some injuries and, and had, I think, lost a few of their key players coming into that game. And having finished top of the table um, and gone out in straight sets, they'll be pretty disappointed with how, how things went down. But um, unfortunately, they, they uh, copped a, a pretty nasty toll. And Warringah were really up to the task. And the big forward pack um, being expertly marshaled around by Josh Holmes, who is just, you know seemingly timeless in Sydney club rugby circles, and he had an absolutely fantastic game, Josh Holmes, um, supported by his big big forward pack, who are going to... I think both of those teams are going to make up the uh, the the bulk of the Rays squad in the NRC, and they'll be one to watch because um, they they looked really, really good. Um, and they'll be coming up against uh, Norths, the, um, the last year's champions, who have come, I think, Ooh. third this year to, to come to the final, and they got up over Eastwood in what was a... A sort of a topsy-turvy game, um, and the end score, I think the end margin was, was, was about the same, actually. I think it was probably 12-10 to 
10 to 12 points, but I think off the top of my head, it was sort of uh, 45-35 as the final score. It was quite a high-scoring game, with North jetting out to, a, to an early lead of about 20, 25 points, but Eastwood clawing them back, and, and unfortunately uh, not, not quite enough in the end, and North had the class, the, the, the classy edge. And, and uh, a guy like Cam Clark at outside centre, I thought, had a fantastic game, and... and um, they did well to respond because they lost their captain Will Miller um, at about half time. So, so to, to do it without him in that second half was was um, a great effort. So we've got um, Norse against the Warringah Rats in the final, and, and Warringah, I mean, I don't think have won the title for a, a roughly 20 years. So they, they're going to mm. be um, really out and have that have that fan base behind them. And, and after we saw the drought broken by Norse last year, after 40 something years, to see Warringah come and break their drought would be fantastic. But um, North Sydney Oval is the place to be this Saturday, uh, 3.15 kickoff, and, and I encourage everyone to get there because I think it's going to be a, an absolutely fantastic match. Um, finishing the round of the grounds, we've got uh, Harlequins taking out the Jewish Shield down in down in um, Victoria, so down in Melbourne, so well done to them as well. Um, and I think that's about it, Matt. So Club Rugby Resurgence, what, what, are, what are, what's your thoughts? Well, I tell you that, uh, that Rats-North game is going to be fantastic. I mean, that's going to be... I don't know how many people North Sydney Oval holds. Um, it, it felt it was, you know, pretty humming last year, and uh, I think this year that's going to go crazy. Well, you know what? One uh, of the major, what one of my major theories, Matt, is one of the reasons why there's been such a resurgence in Sydney, especially is is you've got to remember for for the last what seems like 12 years, 12 to 15 years, it's just been a it's just been a, a uni um, fest and occasionally East mm. will pop their heads up as well. So it was dominated by these two traditional teams um, that didn't have huge fan bases. I mean, certainly in uni's case, they didn't have a huge fan base. And so, you know, they're out of the finals for the first time in a long time this year and we're seeing teams that, you know, North last year and we're seeing Warringah and Manly and... South and Ranwick and these traditional teams actually starting to come back up to the surface. And with that, they've got, you know, they've brought this huge fan base out of the woodwork who finally seeing these, these teams win again. And so I think that's another factor that's, that's driving it in Sydney, especially. Yeah, kind of reconnecting with fans. Um, look, the, the other bit of rugby that's been going on is the uh, Women's World Cup with the Wallaroos. Um, yeah, I don't know if everybody knows, but... Um, uh, yeah, Scott Allen, who used to uh, contribute a lot to Green and Gold Rugby, I'd like to say we made him a star. Um, he's coaching them, or he's an assistant coach, I believe, um, and he's over there with them. Um, uh, I think he'd be probably a wee bit disappointed with um, how they performed, although I think they're one of the, you know, they're one of the few teams that's um, completely amateur, uh, the Wallaroos, in, in this tournament. Uh, I think they're playing for fifth to eighth place. So they're playing they for fifth. Didn't... They've got the fifth place playoff against Ireland. Um, it's actually tonight, nice. Tuesday, our time. So by the time many people listen to this, it'll 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 be done and dusted. But um, they had a narrow loss to Ireland in the rounds of, of the pool stages. So hopefully they can they can turn the tables and and shout out to Scott Allen, who actually I've heard does entirely all of his coaching by YouTube video, um, which is which is quite unorthodox. Um, so he's <laughs> continuing on his green and gold rugby uh, tactics there. <laughs> um, yeah, cracker. Um, Jamie, what's happening at your end, mate? What's going on with uh, is is there going to be is there going to be another like an American rugby comp this coming winter? What's going on? Yeah, they've um, they've sort of tried to. After the fiasco that was uh, pro rugby last year, they're sort of trying to reboot it under a new guise called Major League Rugby. Um, and that'll probably come in, you know, early months, sort of uh, spring and summer, northern spring and northern summer of 2018. Um, but much more relevant is the performance of the uh, Ohio Bobcats, who I've agreed to coach and started preseason hey. last week. And hey, uh... um, there were there are a lot of... Uh, of, of fat 19-year-olds getting just blitzed out around the park and discovering what a real fitness session is about for the first time in their lives. It's it's great to see. Good commitment from the boys. <laughs> and are they all um, American or do you, do you expats or what, what's who's interested? Who's playing in yeah, Ohio? Yeah, at, at the university level, they're all uh, Americans. But um, a team I used to ref a lot last year up in Pittsburgh uh, had a suspicious number of Samoans, Tongans and Fijians who get brought over by some wealthy club benefactors and given a job working on the oil fields down in West Virginia and then would turn up uh, to the games on Saturdays. And one or two of them certainly had uh, very limited English skills from our conversations on the uh, 
on the field and I think their work status might have been a bit interesting as well so um, it's it's a very unregulated environment like there's just huge player numbers a lot of enthusiasm very decentralized you know every town has a rugby club every university has one um, but it's just a lot of enthusiasm it's very amateur and the spirit that we all know and love about rugby is is very much replicated over here and it's very much in contrast to a lot of the professional American sports where it's all, you know, me, me, me. Um, so it's great to see. It's really good to see. It's it's good for personal development. Uh, the quality is good and it's very physical. It's always physical. Um, and, and just talking about that, that new comp, is that still being run by the same guy, the same guy who's the, kind of like the benefactor? No, no he's, out, he's out of it now, is he? he? He's out and basically he's taking USA Rugby to court. USA Rugby are in a worse governance and financial position than the ARU are. Wow. Um, they're really, really up against it and uh, that's going to end up in court. And meanwhile, someone else is going to take the groundwork that he laid, on, laid down and um, try to make some money out of it and make a good competition. And that's great to see because he was a terrible human being. So it's good that someone else is going to profit off his hard work. All right. So look, looking forward to this, uh, to, well, what have we got this weekend? So we've got Club Rugby. Is is Dunedin this weekend? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. So what's, is that like a five o'clock kickoff our time? Yeah. Before the slaughter yeah. begins. All right. So I've basically... I can probably get numb enough at the uh, shoot shield final to get home to try and make it all not matter. Um, <laughs> it's it's, it's pro- probably the plan. Um, Hugh, are you going to try and get along to North Sydney Oval? Uh, I think I, I think I might have another commitment at that time, but I'll I'll certainly be eagerly trying to trying to catch it on a TV if I can. Another commitment, like oh, busy man. Um, all right, look. Uh, well, that's been that's uh, all all for this week. I, I reckon, guys. Got any anything else that we we need to add, or you, you feel replete? Do you do you both feel like you've you know managed to work through some of the issues? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, we keep doing these rant podcasts. Can't we have another celebration podcast? When can we? Do, I feel like we just this is just every second week now. It's just us coming off the long run. <laughs> Yeah, I half feel by the time we next talk that, in fact, Checker will have stepped down and Dave Vessels will now be coach of the Wallabies. I mean, yeah. just anything could happen. Well, I've heard Checker's got his eye on the um, Ohio Bobcats job, Jamie, so you might want to watch it back. <laughs> could be where he ends up. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not worried about that. If if Michael wants to come on and be my assistant any time, you know, I think um, <laughs> if, if he, can, he can bring his own golf club and um, really get the boys revved up, I'd be happy about it. <laughs> And so then, and then predictions this weekend, boys. So, Hugh, what do, what do you got? Oh, uh, look, these. I mean, in the last sort of three, I was want to say a bit like last year. It'll follow a similar pattern where you know we lose, we we show more heart, um, and we still lose. Um, and you know the score will be you know thirty four to thirteen or something. But you know f- the All Blacks might score a few late tries. But you know we'll we'll show a bit more heart physically, but still be comfortably beaten. Mm. Hey, look, I just forgot that the other upside, though, maybe is of not having any defences, we didn't give away a yellow card last week. Well, that's... That's something to be happy about, right? Um, so we'll have to make up for that this week, I would have thought. Um, so, Jamie, what, 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 what do you take? What's your, what do you think's uh, going to Let's go for, for Curtis Rona to play at fly half and 20 points. We'll lose by 20. Yeah. yeah, I reckon yeah, twenty. We ship twenty points easy these days. I reckon it's it's between twenty or more. Um, like you just this this uh, this team don't seem to be able to drag people down to a tight game. Um, and that's about it. Thanks everybody for listening in. And um, look, hopefully this has helped you as well. A big shout out to Reg. I've seen tonight, like just now, he is um tweeting with people so he's clearly alive and well recovering from whatever he had hopefully he'll be back soon um uh, thanks uh, hugh and jamie for joining not at all cheers and uh thanks everybody else and uh, we'll see you next week heels off the top larkham herbert smashes through the middle gregan drop goal from larkham up it goes! Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a de Beer.